0: It's the third core seminar series, and we'll be talking about Genesis 22, the story of Abraham and Isaac. How God asked Abraham to kill his son Isaac. And like Eric did last week with Noah and the flood, we'll be looking at this passage three different ways. Uh, We'll be doing a blind reading uh, where we won't be able to see Christ in the passage We'll be doing a fuzzy reading where we'll be able to see Christ, but not clearly. And then we'll be doing, finally, a 2020 uh, where we'll be able to see Christ clearly in the passage. Okay, so um, before we jump into the passage today, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about covenants. Um, so i got a question for you guys. What is a covenant that people make today? Marriage, marriage yes, marriage. <laughs> and so actually Malachi 2 and Proverbs 2 both tell us, affirm the fact that marriage is, is indeed a covenant. And so I'd like you to take a moment and picture in your mind a marriage ceremony. Right? You, have, uh, you have two people standing in front of a crowd of people. They're facing each other. They're holding hands. They're making vows to each other, right? Uh, and they're doing this in front of witnesses. And what they're doing is making an oath-bound promise to each other for, for, uh, for the purposes of forming a relationship, right? So we can get a definition from that, that a covenant is an oath-bound promise That establishes a relationship. And we know that uh, God has made covenants in Scripture, and covenants is something uh, that's important to God because when He makes a covenant, He puts His reputation at stake, and that's something that God takes very seriously. So here we see uh, six covenants that God has made with man uh, uh, over time. And uh, they help to advance the storyline of the uh, of the Bible. We we can think of these covenants kind of like uh, mile markers that you would have on a highway to help you keep track of where you are in in, in the in the uh, biblical story. Actually, uh, talking about mile markers, when I lived in Texas, I would take my kids for uh, a day uh, a, a day trip, and. Uh, uh, some of the roads if you've ever been in Texas especially West Texas the roads just seem like they go on forever and ever and my kids would get tired and they would start to complain and they would ask me like when are we going to get there daddy when are we going to get there and I tell them you see that little green sign on the side of the road like when that number on that sign is 600 like then we'll be there And so then they'd be quiet, like, watching the the mile markers go by. (laughs) But I really could have told them any number at all. They would have been perfectly fine. After a while, they got tired and they would fall asleep. So, and actually, if you got kids, that that works, like, really well if you got kids. (laughs) So today we're going to be focusing on the third covenant. That's the covenant between, uh, number three, which is a covenant between Abraham and God. And, uh... There are three, three promises, overall promises, that God made to Abraham. First, that he would make him into a great land. He would give him a great land. He would um, uh, give him a great name and, 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 and make him into a great nation. So let's look at each of these promises, how they're fulfilled in Abraham, and then ultimately how they're going to be fulfilled in Christ. So the great nation promise. God promised Abraham that he would make Abraham into a great nation. And uh, God told Abraham that his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand that's on the seashore. And in the book of Exodus, we see that God is keeping his promise to Abraham and his offspring. We see that even uh, the nation of Israel, even under slavery and under persecution, that the nation is thriving. So much so that Pharaoh starts to get worried. And he orders the midwives to uh, kill every male Israelite baby born. Uh, because he's afraid that if war breaks out, that the Israelites will be able to overtake the Egyptians. So luckily, the the, uh, midwives feared God, and, 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 and they didn't do that. So how do we see the great nation promise being fulfilled in Christ? In Revelation 7, 9, it says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So here we see the Apostle John has a vision from Christ. He's standing in the throne room of God. And there's so many people in there, there's so many that he can't count them all. And it's from every tribe, nation, and language. And these people are standing before the throne, worshiping Christ. And these people are none other than the bride of Christ or the church that Christ has been gathering to himself over time and is still gathering to himself today. So here we see that Jesus, the offspring of Abraham, inherits a great nation. The second covenant is God promises to give Abraham a great name. And most of, the, most of the world today recognizes Abraham. They may not know the specifics of his life or what he did, but they at least recognize him as an important historical figure. figure. And, and, uh, and, and for a Jewish person to be able to trace his lineage All the ways back to Abraham is a really big deal. For one, it proves their Jewish identity. And secondly, it it proves that they're a partaker of the covenant promises that God made to Abraham. In the Gospel of Matthew, which was written to to Jewish people, uh, uh, Matthew answers the question for uh, Jewish people about the Messiah being the predicted one in the Old Testament. And the very first thing that Matthew does in his Gospel in in chapter 1... I think verse 2, is he goes over the lineage from Abraham all the ways to Jesus because that would have been important for a Jewish person to see. Abraham is also called the father of faith, and we know, uh, f- and we know that from his line, great men like King David, Solomon, and Jesus would come. So how do we see the great name promise being fulfilled in Christ? In Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11, it says, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here in Philippians 2, Paul is telling us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that is even people today that fail to acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord one day will bow their knee and acknowledge him as Lord. So here we see that Jesus... Abraham's offspring inherits a great name. And the third promise that God made to Abraham was to give him a great, to give his offspring a great land. And we see here in Genesis 12, 12 that God tells Abraham to leave his home in Ur of the Chaldeans and go to Cana. So Abraham packs up everything that he has. He's 75 years old at this point, and he travels 1,500 miles to get to Cana. He takes his wife, he takes his nephew Lot, he takes all of his herds, his herdsmen, and, and he leaves and heads to Cana. So it's, this is not like packing your kids for a Sunday trip somewhere. It's a little more complicated than that. After, shortly after Abraham and Lot get to Cana, they have so many animals that the land can't support all of their animals. And so uh, Abraham says to Lot, you know, we're brothers, let's not argue amongst ourselves. He goes, let's separate, and you can take whatever land you want, and I'll go in the opposite direction. And Lot heads off to Sodom and Gomorrah, and we know that there's another story about that, and Abraham heads in the opposite direction. So there, this is a pretty big move when I say Abraham moved from Yor from to, to Cana. And when Abraham arrives in Cana, God, God speaks to Abraham and says that he will give this land to, to Abraham's descendants. And we know that in the book of Joshua, after the Israelites have wandered into the desert for 40 years, that God does indeed bring the people into this land and eventually give it to them. So how do we see the great land promise being, being fulfilled in Christ? And we see that again in Revelations, this time chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. Oh, I should be going through my things here. Sorry. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So, Revelation 21, 1 to 4. it It says, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for the first heavens and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. So again, the Apostle John is having a vision from Christ, an an end-time vision, where the earth and the heavens as we know them today are no more. There's a new heavens and a new earth. So we don't just get a great land, we get a whole planet. And Jesus is dwelling there with his people. So here we see that Jesus, Abraham's offspring, inherits a great land. So let me just stop there and ask, is there any questions about um, these covenants that God made with Abraham? Okay, let's go on then. Okay, so when we read the Old Testament, it's easy to jump from the passage that we're reading to apply that passage to a Christian life. And when we do that, we, we skip over Christ, and we can miss the, uh, the connections to the gospel. And we'll see some examples of that as we uh, go over our blind and fuzzy readings today. So I'm going to read to you our story for today, the story of Abraham and Isaac. That's in Genesis 22, verses 1 to 19. So I'll read that to you, and then we'll go over our different cases. So, um, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham... And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of uh, Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you again. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went to both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said behold the fire and the wood but where is the lamb for the burnt offering and Abraham said God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering my son so they so they went both of them together when they came to the place of which God had told Abraham Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood and then Abraham reached out his hand and took his knife to slaughter his son And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thickets by its horns. And Abraham went and took the lamb and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mountain, the Lord it the, the uh, on the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars are of the heaven and as the sand are on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. So now we're going to look at uh, several blind readings. Because it is possible to read this passage in Genesis 22 and not see Abraham at all. So we'll we'll look at two examples of that. The first blind reading is giving your all to God. The emphasis on, on on this way to look at the passage is on Abraham's sacrifice and the enormity of that sacrifice. We have to remember that Abraham uh Abraham is old when Isaac was born he was 100 years old uh we don't know from the story exactly how old Isaac is at this point but we have to assume that Abraham is well over 100 plus Abraham has waited several decades for this promise to have a child with Sarah to come tr- to come true and we know that Abraham loves his his uh his son Isaac because in Genesis 22 it it tells us your one your only son whom you love So if our emphasis is just on giving your all to God, we can go from Abraham directly to us and skip over Christ. And when we do that, we can miss the gospel. And we fail to connect this smaller story with the larger overarching story of the Bible. And we can derive a long application from the story. The problem with interpreting the passage this way is the passage is definitely about sacrifice, right? That's not wrong. So it's not wrong to the fo- the focus on sacrifice. But there's no other scripture in the Bible that talks, that, that talks about God commanding someone to do child sacrifice. And, so we, so, and we know that God detests that, that practice, right? So what is God trying to teach us in, in this passage? There must be something more that we're not seeing. This passage in Genesis 22 is playing a bigger part in the biblical story, and it didn't occur in a vacuum. So we need to examine how the book of Genesis fits into the Torah. How does it fit into the Old Testament? But ultimately, how does it point us to Christ? If we look deeper into the story, Isaac is just not Abraham's son. He is the child of promise. In Genesis 15, God promises Abraham that he'll be the father of many nations through Isaac. So killing Isaac would ultimately threaten God's covenant promise. So how could God keep his promise if Isaac dies? So there must be something more, something that we're not seeing, right? So let's go look at our second blind reading. This, this reading focuses on, A, on Abraham's agony. So when we look at the passage this way, the emphasis is on Abraham's emotional and mental state. What must Abraham have been thinking when God asked him to sacrifice his son? What must Abraham have been thinking during that three-day drive to ride to, to uh, Mount, Mount, Mount Moriah? What was Abraham thinking when he was building the altar uh, to sacrifice his son? And what was Abraham thinking when he took the knife to kill his son Isaac? He must have been in such mental anguish and emotional tor- turmoil over what God was asking him to do. Right? The problem with with these blind readings is they pick up on, on threads, on important threads, but they fail to connect those threads to, to gospel truths. So there's nothing in this passage that says anything about Abraham's emotional or mental state. In fact, it's kind of scary. It seems like Abraham's actually okay with doing this. It doesn't seem like it's bothering him at all, right? Uh, But if the Bible is God's complete revelation to us, we need to focus on what God has revealed to us. If we start to speculate on things that aren't in the passage, we can miss what God is trying to tell us, right? God didn't think it was important to include Abraham's psychological frame of mind, so we should not be focusing on that. And when we look deeper into the passage, the testing of Abraham is undoubtedly key in this passage. In fact, the passage starts out with, God tested Abraham, so it frames the whole passage for us. The question we should be asking ourselves is, why is God testing Abraham? Surely God, being omnipresent, he would know what Abraham would do. So we have to assume that this, must, this test must have been for Abraham's benefit. And as we read through the story of Abraham from Genesis 12 to Genesis 22... We read through that, and it seems like a short period of time to us, but we have to remember that it's decades to Abraham. And over those decades, there has been times when Abraham has seemed weak, when he has had doubts, and he did not live a perfect life. But early in God's dealing with Abraham in Genesis 15, uh, it is said that Abraham believed God, and God declared him righteous. And now at the end of God's dealing with Abraham in Genesis 22... Moses, the writer of Genesis, closes out the story of Abraham with this amazing display of faith in God, and then God reaffirms his covenant commitments to Abraham. But again, this blind reading, just like the first one, we feel like there's something missing. There's something more that we're not seeing, right? So let's go look at our fuzzy reading, and we'll see if we can find out what's missing. That's exactly the way it looks before I put my glasses on. (laughs) Okay, so the fuzzy reading, uh, we can see Christ, but we just can't see him clearly. And an example of a, of a fuzzy reading would be the angel of the Lord. So the emphasis here, here is, uh, is, who is this angel of the Lord? In Genesis 22:11, the angel from the Lord calls out from heaven, Do not do anything for the boy, for now I know that you fear God. In Genesis 15, the angel of the Lord calls out a second time, and he says, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord. It seems like this angel of the Lord doesn't just speak for God, he speaks as God. And this angel of the Lord also appears to Hagar in the desert, and he he doesn't appear to her as a mere messenger. He actually tells Hagar that she's going to have a son, and and to name him Ishmael, and that he's going to make Ishmael into a great nation. So he doesn't really speak as a, mes- as a, as a mere messenger. So the, pro- so the problem is, how is this possible? Could God be speaking through this messenger? Or maybe this messenger is a pre-incarnate form of Christ. That's an appearance of Christ before he took on flesh. But this is a very simplistic way of seeing Christ in the passage. And even if this angel is Jesus, it tells us very little about Jesus. So it's a very obscure way of seeing Jesus in the passage. And if you remember, the first week of the of the Seeing Jesus Through the Old Testament series, Brad gave us a fundamental passage in Luke 24, verses 13 to 15, where Jesus, uh, the risen Jesus, appeared to two of his disciples on the Emmaus Road, and Jesus opened their eyes as he interpreted for them all of Scripture about himself. That's Old Testament Scripture, because New Testament hadn't been written. And then in Luke 24, verses 44 to 45, Jesus says, he goes, what's written in the Old Testament, that's the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, was about his death and resurrection. And Paul, uh, the apostle Paul, confirms this in 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen when he says, Jesus died according to the scriptures, he was buried, and he rose according to the scriptures. And all these things are pointing us to the gospel, and when Paul says the scriptures, he means the all of scriptures, not a particular passage or section of scriptures. So these New Testament verses are telling us that our focus should be on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So when we look at an Old Testament passage, we should look for patterns in those passages like judgment for wickedness, atonement for sin, resurrection, and new life. So let's look at a, a 2020 reading. And in a 2020 reading, we should be able to see Jesus clearly in that reading. The first 2020 reading we're going to do is a picture of Jesus' death. Like the, Apostle Paul, uh, like the Apostle Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 15, let's look for Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And I make a bet we'll be able to see that in the passage. So uh, we'll be looking at three aspects of Jesus' death and how they relate to the story of Abraham. Uh, First, we'll be looking at a substitutionary sacrifice. Uh, Let me just go over that that one for you real quick. So I think the clearest way to see Jesus in the story uh, is a substitutionary sacrifice. We see in verse 12 that the angel of the Lord stops Abraham from killing Isaac, but but a sacrifice still needs to be made. Instead of sacrificing Isaac, God provides a substitute of a ram caught in the thickets. And in verse 13, God himself provides this substitute sacrifice for Isaac. This is a very clear foreshadowing of Christ's substitutionary atonement on the cross, who by his death and blood on the cross paid the penalty for our sins and reconciled our relationship to God. New Testament passages like 2 Corinthians 5.21, 1 Peter 2.4, and 1 Peter 3.18 remind us over and over again that it is God who provides a sacrifice for our sins, that we cannot save ourselves There's no amount of good work that we can do to earn salvation. The second thing we see is God will provide the sacrifice. When Isaac asks his father where the sacrifice for the burnt offering is, Abraham responds in verse 8 that God will provide himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And in verse 14, Abraham even names the place the Lord will provide. So the sacrifice for our sins, we can't provide for ourselves, but God can through his son. We, can, uh, we can't provide the sacrifice because we're already dead in our sins. We need something outside of ourselves that is without sin. And remember, it's God who requires the sacrifice for sin. But here we see that God Himself is the one that provides the sacrifice for our sin. And in the same way, God has provided Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. And we see this in Hebrews four nineteen. Uh, we see this in Hebrews nine fourteen, and Romans three twenty five and twenty six. The third way is the only son. In this passage, it's emphasized that Isaac is Abraham's only son. Now we know that Abraham had other sons, right? We know he had Ishmael, and he had more sons through another woman. But from the standpoint of the covenant, Isaac is the only son of promise through which all the nations of the world would be blessed. And in this text, it also makes the point that Isaac, your son, your only son, whom you love, and so we will see, in verse, we see this in verses 2, 12, and then we see it again in verse 16. It's emphasized again and again. You would almost have to be blind to miss it. Making the point that Isaac is somehow special. And in the New Testament, we see these same phrases to describe Jesus' relationship to his father. We see the phrase, your only son. We see that in John one fourteen. John tells us that Jesus is the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. We see the phrase, whom you love, in Matthew three seventeen, when Jesus was baptized. When he came up out of the water, the heavens opened up, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And then we heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The second, um, the second 2020 reading we have is Jesus, uh, the picture of Jesus' resurrection. And we can look at verse uh, Hebrews 11, 17 and 19 to see that. So Hebrews 11:17 and 19 says, "By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he, and, he who, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, "Through Isaac shall all of your offspring be named. So the promise was to come through Isaac." He considered that God was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So the writer of the book of Hebrews is making a direct connection to Genesis 22 for us, and he's telling us that we should see this as a picture of the resurrection. And figuratively speaking, if God did not stop Abraham from killing Isaac, he would have killed Isaac, right? And Isaac is said to be a picture of the resurrection because Jesus was in the grave for three days, and then he was raised on the third day, right? And so here in our passage, we see that Abraham and Isaac travel three days to Mount Moriah, and then on the third day, uh, he was supposed to sacrifice Isaac, but instead Abraham received him back. So we can see that connection there. Plus, also, it's hinted at in the passage in Genesis 22.5. Abraham tells his men to stay with the donkey while him and the boy go over the worship, and then he says, we, then we will come back to you. It's a, it's a very uh, subtle comment, but it's there. Which one, which were you talking about? The 22.5? Oh, Ibrahim goes to his men and tells his men to stay with the donkey while while he and he and Isaac go over to worship, and that he will come back with Isaac like after they're done worshiping, at the altar that they're going to make. Okay. Okay. So let me just stop there. Are, are there are there more questions? Let's just stop there because I've been downloading on you here so. Okay. How much time do we got? Are we, are we running short? I got time. Good. Good. Okay. Um, this, this is the uh, this is the pointer to the promised offering. So, the Bible describes four different offspring of, of Abraham, and it's important for us to have an understanding of these four different offspring in order for us to make sense of the Bible, to help understand New Testament fulfillment and how it's relevant to us. So let's look at these four different offspring of Abraham. Okay, so the first one is the natural physical offspring of Abraham. This is his physical offspring, his children, right? So it's Ishmael, Isaac, its the other sons he had and by extension his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So these these are all of all of his male children, right? The second one is the natural promised offspring. Again, this is Abraham's offspring, natural male offspring, but it's the offspring that the promise goes through. Like it goes through Isaac and not Ishmael. It goes through Jacob and not Esau. It goes through David and not Saul, right? So it's how the promise is traveling through. And the true unique offspring is also, again, it's Abraham's offspring, but it's the one that all of the covenant promises are flowing down into, which we know to be Christ, right? and then lastly there's the spiritual offspring that's the church both Jews and Gentiles who have trusted in the messiah and all those who have placed their faith in Christ they are also heirs to the promise of abraham okay so what is the significance of all this to us so we first we need to recognize that we are heirs to the promise of abraham that if jesus is the true unique offspring of abraham and he receives all of the promises of Abraham, and we are united to Christ through faith, then we too are heirs to these promises. Right? And if and and when we read uh, the promises that God affirms to Abraham in Genesis 22, we need to see that these promises are ours to claim as well. Abraham obeyed God, and he earned these promises. Christ obeyed God, and he earned these promises. And now we share these promises with Christ through faith. And the second significance to us is that we need to rejoice that as Gentiles, we can share in these saving promises of Father Abraham. Um, we are not second-class citizens in God's plans. We are adopted into this family by being united to Christ, and we see this in Galatians 3.29. And we are the unnatural branches that have been grafted into the Abrahamic covenant, uh, promised by God's mercy and not by our merit. And we see that in Romans 11, 17 to 24. And we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant promises. But now in Christ, you who were once far off have brought, been brought near by the blood of Christ. And we see that in Ephesians 2, verses 12 and 13. So what should our, our response be to all this? Our response should be to rejoice. Because God has sent his one and only son, whom he loves, to pay the penalty for our sin. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And he is alive and reigning, right? And one day, everyone will confess his great name and will dwell in a great land. He will dwell in a great land, and he will be head of a great nation, dwelling with his people forever. So we should rejoice, right? Okay, so that's all I got. I don't know, what t- what time is it? <laughs> am, am I like, am I ahead? That's good. Is there any questions on, any questions about that? Okay, I guess you got time then. Thanks. I hope you found that helpful. <laughs>